You're listening to the awesome Podcast Network. This is 80s Revisited. I'm your producer, Jesse Sedgley. And now, your host, Trey Harris. Golly, that was sure pretty, huh? Yeah. It's like the mist is what's pretty, you know? All gold and silver. Mm-hmm. Too bad it can't stay like that all the time. Nothing gold can stay. And Daniel-san learns his first lesson, that nothing gold can stay. Mm. Welcome to 80s Revisited. I'm your host, the ghost of Pat Morita, as we talk about the top 10 films of 1983. So glad we have a guest host Here. today. Oh, shit, it's the Ghostbusters. I have to go. See you later. Oh. Mr. Miyagi, come back. You didn't teach me how to change five my chopsticks. Damn it. Well, Ghostbusters sometimes aren't always welcome. Yeah, that's what I hear. But anyway, the top, my personal top 10 films of 1983 and as i kind of hit out last year it was kind of a dry year so let's just see what <laughs> happens but as always i'm one of your hosts here at 80s revisited trey harris with me as always my loyal producer my own pony boy jesse sedgley yes i am and if you know what movie that intro was from at least before i started talking and added another 80s movie in there that wasn't released in 1983 you already know what the number one zero film is on the countdown ha <laughs> Uh, yeah. Uh. Anyway, 1983. I was three years old. A lot of stuff was happening in the world, but we're here to talk about specifically the films and the music that went along with going to the movies in 1983 with Casey Kasem. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, number 10. And as I said, this is just my personal 10 list, uh, top 10 list. So believe me, there's a couple of movies on here that you will never see in a top 10 list that doesn't probably have the word worst in front of it. Mm. Because A... This is my podcast, along with Jesse, of course. And B, it's my top 10 films of 1983. So, hey, it's what I think. So, let's just get on with it. Number 10, The Outsiders, which was released on March 25th, 1983. You would have driven, cruised even, or even stepped on sidewalks that lit up as you walked to the theater <laughs> to the sounds of Michael Jackson and Billie Jean, like you're hearing right now, to check out The Outsiders, based on the book by, uh, I believe, S.C. Hinton, I think was the author's name. And directed by, I think, Francis Ford Coppola, directed The Outsiders. With a now all-star cast, 19, back in 1983, not necessarily an all-star cast. Mm. But uh, if you haven't seen the film, we're talking uh, Ralph Macchio, Tom Cruise, Kiefer, uh, not, uh, Emilio Estevez, Patrick Swayze, God Rest Your Soul, Matt Dillon, uh, Rob Lowe, who else am I missing? Diane Lane, the lovely Diane Lane, Leif Garrett, Tom Waits even had a cameo in there. So yeah, all, I mean, you know, at the time, these were a lot of young kids. Nowadays, you look at that cast like, Jesus Christ, bam, <laughs> star studded. And like I said, unfortunately, we're missing one of the biggest stars, Patrick Swayze, no longer with us now. Same. But he was with us, thankfully, in 1983 and many years after that to deliver some other fantastic movies. But yeah, my personal top ten pick, uh, The Outsiders. And the thing is, like, I didn't see this movie until much later. Uh, simply because in my class in grade school, I didn't have the class that had to read the book and watch the movie. I had to like watch, or excuse me, read Fellowship of the Rings instead of Outsiders. Or I'm sorry, excuse me, that's what uh, high school. I had to read uh, To Kill a Mockingbird 
and I was in honors English, so we had to read To Kill a Mockingbird and watch that movie, whereas the regular English classes had to read and watch The Outsiders. But nevertheless, it's a, this is a big, and honestly, I included it over some of these other honorable mentions simply because a lot of my friends really love this movie and were even angry at me when I told them I never saw it until like, you know, several years ago. So that's why I'm including it because it is an important film for the decade and for a lot of the, uh, the importance of a lot of the people involved in it as well from, you know, like I said, a superstar study cast. But uh, watching it nowadays, I'd rather watch The Warriors. <laughs> but that was a 70s movie, so it can't be on this countdown, obviously. But if you want to watch a gang movie, watch The Warriors. Much better, in my opinion. In my opinion. All right, now, number... People who like this, though, also liked Risky Business. Yeah, yeah. All the Right Moves. All the Right Moves. Red Dawn. Hell yeah. Prefer those over this. Ferris Bueller. Weird Science. Weird Science. Yeah, Breakfast Club. Cocktail. Yeah. Yeah, yeah not bad. Not, again, outside of not a bad movie, I prefer The Warriors. Sure. So anyway, moving on. Number nine. You, you know, let's see. You want to saw The Outsiders in March 25th, 1983. A few months passed. You're headed to the theater in June 17th, 1983, listening to I don't know what this is. You don't know what this is? You can look at the screen. Oh, I don't know how to... I, <laughs> I was trying to guess it. Oh, okay. Well, you're trying to play well, the role of a Oh, it was fla- Flashdance from the film Flashdance. What a feeling. Radio edit by Irene Cara. Number one on the radio charts for that week. But you have been going to the theater, not to see Flashdance, which also came out that year, but a sequel, a second sequel to a 70s franchise that was big in the 80s and recently is big again. It would be Superman 3. This is one of the films that I mentioned that you will never see on another top ten list of anything. It will be on a worse top ten. Top ten Superman movies. Oh, there you go. Well, hey, good. There you go. <laughs> although it should be on more because although there's a lot of bad in this film, as we talked about on the episode where we actually went over Superman 3 and the terrifying scene that haunted me as a child of a woman being turned into a robot. <laughs> uh, nevertheless, Superman 3, still better than Superman 4, and it's Richard Pryor. Huh. A censored Richard Pryor is still better than no Richard Pryor, since he is dead now. Oh wait, okay, I know this song. Yeah, of course you do. Yeah, I don't know the I don't know the beginning. Oh. That slower intro. This is the part I know. Everybody knows the chorus. Sure. I've seen Scarface. Spoiler alert. <laughs> uh, so, you know, but anyway, yeah, gotcha. Yeah. Now, I wonder if this radio edit's different. It seems like a f- the version in Scarface of this film's much more like. Faster. Yeah, it seems like I've heard a, it, I'm used to the song being faster. I don't know. I, I just, could be completely wrong. I'm not an Irene Cara fan. the first one I saw. So, hey, <laughs> there you go. It works. It works for our purposes. Yeah. And moving on up to number eight. A few months later, after June, seeing Superman 3, headed to the theater on November 18th, 1983. Now, let me say something about 1983. I mentioned it was a dry year. It wasn't a dry year for Christmas movies. A couple of time-tested Christmas movies both came out in 1983, the first of which will be the story of a little boy named Ralphie in his quest to get a Red Ryder BB gun. Of course, a Christmas story. And you would be rocking out to the sounds of Lionel... Well, the parents would probably be digging the sounds of Lionel Richie <laughs> all night long as they're driving their kids to see a Christmas story for the holidays. But yeah, Christmas story... Uh, I'm, I don't think we've covered that on the podcast. I'm not sure. I don't think we have. I don't remember because it's been... 150 plus episodes. Can't remember all these things on the drop of a hat. Mm. But anyway, yo, I, still I think unless you have TBS and it's Christmas Day and you're forced to watch this film over and over because they play it on repeat. Excuse me. You probably have a lot of good memories of this film. Still a fun uh, Christmas movie. One of the ones we watch every year at least. Mm, excuse me. In my house especially. 
Uh, not as good as the Christmas movie that's coming up on the countdown, but it's still a good one. So, yeah, uh, and that's one... Uh, it's, everybody's seen A Christmas Story, and yeah, rightfully so. One of the ten best films of 1983, in my opinion. Uh, moving right along, because again, sorry guys. I thought, like, I think 1981 I thought was pretty, like, lame. Like, not lame, but, like, not a lot to choose from. I was going to like, there's some movies here I like, but these... <laughs> not a lot of good movies, like... Yeah, yeah, not, I should have done a top five for this year, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> There's just not again. Outsiders is a bad movie. Superman three, yeah, a lot of people think it's a bad movie. Christmas Story, that's a good Christmas movie, but it's not like one of the finest cinematic achievements of the year 1983. But moving along, a great movie I think, worthy of this countdown, worthy of being on the top ten list for 1983. On June third, so it was probably Flashdance again. Yeah, <laughs> I imagine. What a feeling! Which I, I now know what that song is. Yeah, thanks to the chorus. We don't need to play it again. Oh, yeah. but wait, there it is. Well, hey, the miracle of radio <laughs> and the spirit of Casey Kasem in the walls. Yeah, but uh, June 3rd, a little bit before, uh, a couple weeks before Superman 3, you might have gone to see one of the, uh, I'd say, uh, as relevant then as it is today, in a, or more relevant now than it is today, I guess I should say, uh, the Matthew Broderick and Ali Sheedy thriller, War Games. Uh, definitely one of the best uh, films in the 80s for dealing with video games. Uh, as far as and one of the only films I can think of, aside from maybe like Tron, which also was in the 80s, uh, that involves, you know, a video game saving the world, in a sense. So, yeah, of course, you know, whoever thought Tic-Tac-Toe would, you know, stop Skynet from activating? Because mm. War Games really is, you know, the Terminator prequel we never wanted because Skynet has to happen for a Terminator to even be born. So it's almost like a what-if movie if Skynet didn't get activated and was stumped playing Tic-Tac-Toe against itself for all eternity. <laughs> Until it gets shut down. Not as exciting, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> it still works. War Games still a great film. Haven't done it on the podcast yet. I do have it planned for a video game month, right? But I'm still. I'm, I think it's going to actually end up being a video game twofer because uh, there's not. <laughs> there's actually I have three. I need to find one more that video game related. Yeah. Yeah, we'll think about that. Yeah. <laughs> if you know one that's not okay, if it's not Tron or The Wizard, I need one more <laughs> video game one where video games play a big part of the film. Wow. Even though Technic, it's a robot. War Games is honestly a stretch for that criteria, simply because it's it's talking about playing tic tac toe with itself, but it works. Um, oh, and see, we already, the problem is you already did last Starfighter. Yeah, so cloak and dagger. It has to be one we haven't seen. Have you seen that? I saw it once when I was really young. I don't remember anything about it. Was it was one we had on tape. Really? Like I watched it a few times. Yeah. I will have to check it out again. I mean, we'll eventually cover it on the podcast, I'm sure, but I don't remember anything about it, anything at all except the cover, the VHS cover. The kid I don't from remember because we had a we oh yeah yeah the, yeah you had the cover <laughs> I had the cover and that's what I had to remember, I had to look at oh Henry Thomas and yeah. the uh, six point five hey that's not that's bad. not a bad uh, IMD score yeah so I had to yeah. check it out Let's see but if you know send me a request for that I still need one for request month but I can't do it for both so say it's not a request just give me an idea for a video game movie where video should games... he watch Cloak and Dagger let us know hmm, I probably will might have to, <laughs> I mean since it's on that. Google list and I haven't seen. I'm gonna have to watch it anyway to see if it yeah. fits the criteria. So then, after watching it, might as well do it for the con- uh, podcast. There you go. So moving right along to number six, uh, released April 29th, 1983. Getting a little scary up in here. Uh, and when most people think of the director of this film, Tony Scott, uh, immediately, honestly, the first film I think of is uh, Top Gun. Now, uh, for the most part, uh, t- Tony Scott, of course, the dead brother of Ridley Scott. He jumped off a bridge a few years ago, tragically. Uh, although Top Gun 2 is still moving forward and at the time he was uh, thought to be you know, directing it when it came out 
if it came out at that point. Uh, which, you know, now it's looking more serious with Tom Cruise and Kilmer signed on, I believe. Yeah. So, looking forward to that one. But anyway, you'll be going to see the David Bowie hit, or underground cult sensation, I think, probably more likely uh, nowadays, The Hunger, uh, mm-hmm. about an interesting take on vampires, also starring Susan Sarandon and uh, a lovely French woman. I think her, Catherine Dianvier. Some She has a weird last name. You know, no, a very don't. French last name. Mm. Puts you that way. But it's uh, The Hunger by Tony Scott. Uh, this was a film I didn't like watch until the 90s but when I watched it it's like it's really it's really an adult it's an erotic thriller but not like I mean it's not like erotic like you know a lot of like kids think oh erotic (laughs) right no I mean it's like a it's a sexy vampire it's like interview with a vampire before in modern day almost in a sense uh, but it's it's visually it's really striking uh, I think you probably uh, Tony Scott probably had Clint Eastwood's feature cinematographer because a lot of shadows a lot of darkness but it's an interesting take on the whole vampire mythos it's very unique uh, I'm just waiting for the right Halloween horror havoc to unleash it upon the podcast when it's thematically acceptable uh, but yeah if you haven't seen The Hunger have, again haven't covered a podcast but I would highly recommend it it's a especially if you like vampire movies if you like good vampire movies like I do uh, so Check it out, and also David Bowie's in it. You know, and he's not singing. He's you know, it's a dramatic role. It's really good. Check it out. So hmm. uh, that was number six. But moving on, staying in the horror genre, uh, but moving to December 9th, uh, 1983. Uh, actually, this was this uh, released the same day as one of our future movies we're about to cover. Interestingly enough, so some people might have gone to see this movie, but most people actually went to see the other movie that's coming up in a bit. But this film. We recently we covered it this past year, speaking of Halloween Horror Havoc, on our Stephen King month uh, for that. And, you know, we talk about, I talked about, mentioned Stranger Things last week, you know, uh, that yeah. it, it was like a, if John Carpenter did a TV show uh, written by Stephen King, that's what you'd kind of get. Well, on December 9, 1983, that's what you got in the theater because John Carpenter's Christine was in theaters. And you would have driven there listening to the hot sounds of Paul McCartney and Michael Jackson say, say, say. Michael Jackson, all over the 80s. Listen here. I don't recognize this one. Oh, you don't? I did see a BuzzFeed article or, or some article like about how like McCartney and Jackson, like like how they fell out after like their collaborations. Oh, really? Didn't read it. Uh, I was at work, that's why. But uh, yeah, so check that out if you want to. Google, I'm sure in your Facebook news feed, it's probably somewhere currently because it was like a shared topic thing, whatever, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, it's BuzzFeed, anyway, it's everywhere. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, John Carpenter's Christine, of course, based on the book by Stephen King, which we did a whole episode on that one. Uh, and looking back, I really enjoyed doing that month because we did all the, you know, the movies based on Stephen King's books, but also because uh, I obviously never read Christine before, but that the book was fantastic. Uh, a lot of obser- youthful observations about life and growing old in that book. And, you know, I'm a big, philo- I like philosophy. That's one of my uh, minors in college and personal, you know, I like movies, like Blade Runner is obviously one of my favorite movies, heavy philosophical movies I really like. They're not the funnest to talk about on the podcast, uh, but, you know, I really like them. And the book had some amazing things in it. And then, so I was really excited for, you know, to cover it on the podcast because, you know, of course, John Carpenter, huge John Carpenter fan. And as we said on that episode, I thought Christine was phenomenal. Uh, I think it's one of those under underappreciated Carpenter movies. Uh, but also when your catalog includes Halloween, Escape from L.A., Solid Precinct 13, uh, The Thing, you know, it's easy for things to get overlooked by these other genre staples and classics as well. I definitely think it's an underrated Stephen King adaptation. Uh, so it's really, really good. So that's my number five. 
And let's see, getting out of the horror genre and going back to comedy and back to Christmas. Uh, December, or, I'm sorry, June 8th, strangely enough, which just kind of really threw me off because as I was coming doing this list, seeing like, okay, I got Christmas Story November 18th, that makes sense. And then I came to number four, Trading Places, released uh, June 8th, middle of summer, mm-hmm. a Christmas movie. Whatever. That's fine. You were still listening to What a Feeling by Irene <laughs> Cara, which was dominating the charts in 1983. <laughs> so you and were still... You were, hopefully you, you didn't shoot yourself in the head for having to listen to that song repeatedly <laughs> for so many times. Oh, I guess she was the 83 Adele in terms yeah, of like play, overplayedness on the radio, perhaps. Probably but not. I don't but. remember because I was three. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, Trading Places, haven't covered it on the podcast, just waiting for Christmas this year to uh, cover that one. But uh, definitely one of, uh, in my opinion, one of the funniest Christmas movies uh, there is. Uh, Dan Aykroyd, Eddie Murphy, two SNL alums together. And it's, that, that's a, good, a great example of a comedy that's it's funny and there's a good story that stays serious throughout it, throughout the entire story. But, it, I mean, the whole scene on the train on New Year's, I mean, it, it just gets crazy and silly, but it's still, it's just phenomenal. It's a really great, really great comedy. If you haven't checked it out in a while, don't, I know we're in the middle of July now, wait till Christmas. Watch, it's a Christmas movie. Watch it at Christmas time. So you can, you know, drink some hot cocoa, some hard apple cider, whatever you want to do. And have a, you know, after you leave your ugly, ugly sweater party, go home, watch Trading Places, <laughs> enjoy the holiday. I mean, what a feeling of the holidays. You know, it just makes me feel like singing. Yeah. But it's strangely enough, since this song is playing now, it ties into our number three in the top three for my top ten films of 1983. One we recently covered on the podcast, Scarface. The Al Pacino one. Mm. We had, if you want to hear the F word more times than almost any other movie, except for The Wolf of Wall Street... Go listen to our podcast episode where we said it probably as many times as the film. And also, the film itself drops more F-bombs than we dropped bombs on Afghanistan in the past few years, I imagine. <laughs> Too soon? I don't know. Nah. Maybe. Nah. Yeah. But you'd still be listening to Say, Say, Say by McCartney and Jackson. Because that's what you Because it was what you were listening to on the same day. You possibly went and saw Christine, but I imagine most people went and saw Scarface because it was a much bigger hit. Then Christine, two different genres, two different movies, love them both. But yeah, as we, we talked about Scarface not too long ago on the podcast, which had the What a Feeling song actually in, uh, in it as well, which is where I knew I heard that song from, <laughs> which I referenced a little earlier. But yeah, Scarface, we talked about it on the podcast, fantastic film, great performances, just a fun movie, a good background movie just to leave on. Uh, unless you hate the F word, then stay away from it and watch something else instead. But yeah, number three, Scarface. We're now we're in the top two, Uh-oh. and we're getting better. As you see, I mentioned it was draft. You look at the, the bottom half, and you get to the top half. You're seeing more recognizable, more popular movies, more bigger movies. You might automatically, yeah, I've seen that. Uh, ooh, that's for number three mm-hmm. or two, two. Yeah. Oh yeah. I just I just like this song. Sorry, I just want to <laughs> listen to it. I don't want to stop talking to listen to it. Everybody likes this. This is the song by the Police. Everybody knows. Uh, not the best Police song, if you ask me, but you didn't. So. We'll just leave it at that. I kind of partial to King of Pain or Message in a Bottle. But, uh, yeah, on July 29th, thankfully, you're out of the, the Junes, so you're not listening to What a Feeling. Although it looks like, <laughs> it seems like that might have came back on the charts at a different point, maybe. Uh, uh, or not, I don't know. I'm looking at the dates here, trying to remember. But anyway, you'd be rocking out to the police, one of the best bands of the 80s, in my opinion, headed to the theater to see one of the funniest movies of all time, National Lampoon's Vacation, the original and still the best, if you ask me, R-rated Chevy Chase comedy with Beverly D'Angelo looking gorgeous as ever in the early 80s. 
Fan-freaking-tastic. Uh, this film still holds up. Randy Quaid, before he actually became Cousin Eddie, mm. in reality, uh, still phenomenal, still fun, highly enjoyable, holds up. It's, as a, I think co- comedies are really... Ho- some comedies... I think the best comedies hold up even today, or even you know multiple years after they've come out. And this is definitely one of them. John Candy in the end, God rest his soul. Uh, you know, and this is this is this is prime Chevy Chase. This isn't nowadays Chevy Chase. This is in his prime. See the uh, the newer vacation. Yeah. Didn't Oops. hate it. Didn't hate it. Yeah, didn't hate it. You know, uh, it's, it's the moment. fourth best one. It's better. Oh, that, that's a good thing. It's better than Vegas Vacation. <laughs> you know, uh, but I mean, you know, when you got vac- European, you know. To me, it's vacation, Christmas vacation, European vacation. I'd say the new one's as good as Europe, uh, not European, uh, Vegas vacation. And I think they even had another one without Chevy Chase or something we discovered when we were doing the Christmas one or something. Oh, did they? I can't remember. There seems like there was some other one, but it didn't have any of the, it was direct to video. And oh, I don't even I could remember. Be, I could be straight tripping, yo. Straight tripping. I don't know. But that's number two. Now, number one, it's no, it's no fucking surprise what number one is. If you, when you first I know think, what it is. When you first think of 1983, the first, like, instantly I knew this is going to be another countdown where I already knew the number one before even looking at the films. And could be wrong, but I wasn't, because as you see, they heard these other films. A lot of them are fantastic. Some of them are guilty pleasures. But the number one released on May 25th, 1983, the conclusion of debatably the greatest trilogy in motion picture history, the original Star Wars trilogy, Return of the Motherfucking Jedi. And you would have been rocking out to the sounds again of the late, great David Bowie with Less Dance, the single version we're listening to now. Yeah, that's 80s Bowie. Oh, yeah. Definitely. (laughs) You can definitely tell. uh, Because David Bowie transcends time, but you can look at all of his different works and you can tell exactly kind of where, pretty much guess the decade of Bowie simply by the song, for the most part. Not that I'm a Bowie expert, but listen to his 70s stuff as opposed to the 80s stuff and the 90s stuff, and then Black Star is its own fucking league, because that shit is depressing <laughs> and beautiful at the same time. But anyway, yeah, obviously Return of the Jedi, my favorite film of 1983. What everybody knows, if you don't know anything about Return of the Jedi, you're what rock you've been living under, put your fucking Twilight books down, you little prepubescent teenager, and go fucking watch Return of the Jedi after watching Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back. Mm. Yeah, there you go. I mean... Number five on the IMDb list. Yeah, I mean, our list was, you know, all these same movies I'm seeing, with the exception of the right stuff, which it's not a bad movie, but it's just. Whoops, I pulled up my headphones. Happens once every three episodes. And there it is. There we go. But uh, it's a great active film. It's on my honorable mentions. Uh, Speaking of which, let me go over those before we go over all the ones on IMDb's. Uh, Honorable mention, we got Kroll. Eh, didn't hold up. (laughs) Didn't hold up to me. Couldn't be on my top ten. Uh, Project A, one of Jackie Chan's uh, uh, better known, more popular films. Uh, the David Cronenberg, James Woods classic, in my opinion, Videodrome. Twilight Zone, the movie, with its horrible backstory, which, uh, go look that up on the internet and if you want to read some horrible things that happen when stunts go wrong. Mm. Uh, the Tom Cruise classic, uh, Risky Business, you know, same year as Outsiders. Post-Outsiders, at least, to where you know, he got his teeth fixed. He was on his road to success. Uh, Sleepaway Camp, underrated horror film that you don't want to hear too much about that's not been remade yet to my knowledge with an ending that you didn't see again till The Crying Game. So, sorry if that's a spoiler because you know The Crying Game which you haven't seen Sleepaway Camp, but hey, you should have seen it by now. Uh, and finally, uh, honorable mention, Zoo Warriors from Magic Mountain. And the reason I mention this is because A, it's a Samuel Hung Kung Fu classic, fun movie to watch regardless, 
but it was the film that inspired the first episode of this podcast movie, Big Trouble in Little China. So obviously has to be on the honorable mentions, but uh, let's see, what did IMDb have that we didn't? Flashed in? IMDb, the most popular popular. films. Scarface was number one on IMDb, then The Right Stuff, Vacation was next, Outsiders in episode uh, six. And they run out with Twilight, War Games, Scroll, Turn Some Deer, and Flashdance. Again, I like to keep it the mood light and fun so we don't do too many heavy movies. So I'm not going to watch Terms of Endearment for this fucking podcast. Wrong <laughs> podcast. We don't, you know, if we watch a highly, you know, dramatic film, it's going to be because we're going to make some fun of it and have some, a good time talking about it. I think this makes more sense. The most voted titles. There you go. Episode six, Return of the Jedi, number one, yeah. then Scarface, then A Christmas Story, Trading Places, Meaning of, oh, oh, I forgot to put that on my honorable mentions. Meaning of Life, Octopussy, War Games, National Lampoons, Risky Business, and number 10 was Videodrome. Let rounding out outsiders oh i'm surprised to see christine that high on the user oh and superman 3 at 13 <laughs> uh, for the user voted ones this at is least. most voted on so yeah. whether they voted one or ten you know yeah it's on here that means people are seeing have something it. to say yeah has something to say yeah. about it so and then as we like to talk about every time with these lists uh the worst film of the year and of all of them that i looked at again this was, i said it was a dry year there wasn't that many that i've even seen I can count on my, hand, my fingers and my toes how many films in, that it released that year that I've seen. Maybe a couple of extra fingers. Mm. But anyway, but it wasn't hard of the ones that I knew about on this list to pick the worst one. And if somebody said Superman 3 was the worst, I wouldn't argue with you. I understand why. It's a guilty pleasure for me, so I'm biased, just like the Van Damme Street Fighter. But I would have to go with Jaws 3D. Uh, and as much as I love sharks, they're my spirit animal. Shark Week ended a, few, a couple weeks ago. It was actually really great this year. There were no fake documentaries, and they focused on other sharks like hammerheads and bull sharks and oceanic white tips. Jaws 3D just, uh, yeah. Uh, we talked about it on the podcast. I think it was one of the lowest-reviewed movies on the podcast. Uh, not as low as Jaws 4, The Revenge, because that's a whole, whole other thing to talk about that movie. whole other sport in terms <laughs> of bad movies. But yeah, as far as 83 goes, I have to give it to Jaws 3D, which there are, I'm sure there are worse movies released that year, but for the ones that I've seen, that's the one I got to vote for. Mm. So again, I'll still watch it because it's, it's bad good, but it's still mainly bad. Yeah. But hey, Dennis Quaid, Louis Gossett Jr. I think Louis Gossett Jr. forgot what, that he was in a bad movie. Because <laughs> when we watched, rewatched it for the podcast, it was like, he's acting like, he's a good actor. And he's not, ca- it wasn't a cash in performance. Like, he acted like, this is my park, I'm going to stop this shark from eating it. Like, he played it like, you know. They didn't know what they were doing on there. I don't think he they did. They didn't know what they were yielding. I, I, I mm. think, I think somebody, somebody had to. Some. <laughs> and when they're watching the dailies, like, okay, the shark's going to look good. And they see these first effect shark, effects shots from Jaws 3D. I mean, who's, great, fantastic, print. Yeah. Oh God! I mean, you remember the I mean I the, the shark floating towards. The I did t- see this one. Oh God! Yeah, it's bad. We had an episode about it, so you can listen to that one if you want to. And round it out. Six. Yeah, that's that's accurate. I think I gave it a four, maybe or f- something like that. So not wow. too far off. But anyway, uh, if you turn to the Academy Awards for the 1983, a whole bunch of boring in terms of uh, <laughs> best picture was Terms of Endearment. Hey, not saying it's a bad movie. I don't care about it. This is not the podcast for those kind of movies. Uh, best director was James L. Brooks uh, for Terms of Endearment. Uh, best actor went to Robert Duvall for Tender Mercies, which I've never seen, but we all know who Robert Duvall is. And best actress, once again, Shirley MacLaine for Terms of Endearment. So it Boy. pretty much swept almost <laughs> all the main categories except actor. So blah, blah, blah. If you like that movie, 
I'm sure there's some other artsy fartsy podcasts that talk about that. Ones that don't say words like fucking shit that you can listen to to talk about that one. This is the fuck shit podcast. <laughs> I don't want to be known for that. <laughs> we're not the fuck shit podcast. <laughs> Today on the fuck shit podcast, we're going to fuck this shit. <laughs> we're going to fuck shit up. <laughs> there you go. We're the fuck shit up podcast. Shit fuck. Anyway, uh, and rounding out the list for our top 10 li- films of 83, the top 10 highest grossing films of 83, because we like to compare what I, th- what I liked, what the Academy liked, and then what the dollar liked. Mm. No surprise. Number one, Return of the Jedi rounded out the year as the number one highest grossing film with $252 million, uh, more almost tripling number two, which happened to be Terms of Endearment with $108 million. So... He had my favorite, and he had the Academy's favorite. Mine was better, according to the dollar. And we all know the almighty dollar rules the fucking world. So, Trey's right. Uh, number three, Flashdance, if you like that kind of stuff. Uh, 90, uh, $92 million for that one, which barely beat Trading Places, which came in at 90 So $2 million shy, roughly, of being number three for the year. It was also number four on my list, and number four for the year. Uh, War Games, number five, uh, 79.5. Octopussy, 90, uh, I'm sorry, 67.8. Sudden Impact, which is not a Van Damme film, uh, was 67. Staying Alive, the sequel, I believe written by Sylvester Stallone to uh, Saturday Night Fever, 64.8. Actually, I've not seen that one, but that one might actually be the worst film of the year based on (laughs) public opinion. At least, I've always heard that it's really, really bad. Uh, We have internet trouble right now. but Yes, we do. Let me see. I just want to see if it's rated lower than Jaws. I'll use my trusty iPhone. Go to IMDb, but uh, rounding out, I'll come back to that. Mr. Mom was number nine with 64.7. Tom, uh, not Tom Cruise, Michael Keaton uh, in that one. And speaking of Tom Cruise, number 10 for the year, Risky Business at 63 million and 0.5. We'll round it off at that. Let's see, Staying Alive, IMDb, 4.4. What was Jaws Revenge, 4.6? Uh, 3.6. Oh, 3, okay, never yeah. mind. According to IMDb, Staying Alive is still better than Jaws 3D. <laughs> But I would rather, wa- I've not seen, st- actually I take it back, I would rather watch Staying Alive for the first time than watch Jaws 3D again. But I can't say if I would rather. Jaws 3D for the first time? If I hadn't seen it, hell yeah, I'd watch Jaws 3D over <laughs> Like John Travolta dancing or a giant shark attacking SeaWorld. Yeah. One of these premises is right up my alley. The other one I don't give a shit about, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. Although we might have to look at, you know, do a, a, a worst film of the decade month or something and do a couple of the ones that are just stereotypically pan that we haven't done already the worst of each year as a uh, are the worst considered to be the worst film of the year that i didn't already pick or do on the podcast we'll think of something but anyway that rounds out all the top 10 and top four for the academy stuff list for this installment of the top films of 1980 whatever according to trey <laughs> so uh the back to the future segment uh, a couple of films i saw recently i got one recommend and one stay away from uh, I'll do the stay away from first, and that would be the film I actually had high hopes for based on the cast. It would be I Saw the Light, the Hank Williams biopic starring Tom Hiddleston and Elizabeth oh, Olsen. Oh, really? Yeah, it was terrible. Aw, And let me say, shame. Let me say what was terrible about it. Uh, Hank Williams was an asshole. Oh, yeah, no, everybody knows that. I didn't know that. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, you know, okay, to me, a biopic should have something to say about the person. Even if they had faults, like, they had to have something good in their life. Right. You know, like like something like not necessarily redemption, but you know, to where like God, I understand the mad genius of this person, or you know, something along those lines. This film just shows how his wife was a gold digger, who tried to you know maintain his success after he died. He was an alcoholic, a drug abuser. 
And like they didn't try to. Now I had to go Wikipedia afterwards because like any biopic or any true thing, everything from. Aw, did you beat your score, Jesse? Yeah, I think oh, so. New high score on the no internet connection Google T Rex yeah, jumping game. game. But anyway, uh, it was just Tom. No, no, don't get me wrong. Tom Hiddleston, awesome. Did his own singing, fantastic. His performance was great. It, obviously, the best thing about the film, the film itself as a story. I just came away with like this guy was a jerk and. Oh, that, well, that's like, a shame. There was nothing, like they had hints of things that I thought were going to be like the message of it. Like, yeah, he he, you know, he loved his son, but you know, he just couldn't get over this drug problem, which is true. But the film didn't make you feel anything for that. You know, like uh, I think that's a good biopics do that. Like, you know, Walk the Line had, you know, I I think it was an okay one. I'm a bit biased because I love Johnny Cash. Yeah. But it's the ending of Walk the Line, Walk the Line is really kind of awkward, where he's just talking with his dad at a barbecue. You know, mm. like uh, uh, Buddy Holly story, fantastic biopic. It was about him and his life and the mu- and the music and all that. It didn't even go to the stuff that inspired that he influenced later on. It was just about him. It stayed focused and focused on his talent and you know what he did. Great biopic. Uh, what did we do recently? Oh, La Bamba. You know, I mean, there wasn't much to tell with his Rick, Richie Valens' short life, but it was still a, a good you know good biopic where it had like, even though it was actually more about his brother than it was Richie Valens himself. But uh, I saw the light. Aside from Tom Hiddleston's performance, avoid it. Just which Shame. I was excited because a I knew Autumn. I knew she really was interested to see it because she thinks Tom Hiddleston's cute as fuck and she likes Hank Williams. So like, oh, you know, good, you know, great movie for us. You know, we'll both enjoy. I know she'll stay off her phone as we watch it. <laughs> and we were both on our phone during the movie. Oh wow! Just that's a shame. Just boring. Uh, what you know, it wasn't like badly directed. It felt like it took place in the. 40s and 50s and everything it felt anachronistic to when it was supposed to take place but the film itself just i didn't take anything away from it except like what a dick <laughs> like everybody in this film's a dick and just just it was it showed how much of a train wreck his life was but that does not a good movie make in my opinion so anyway i would say avoid it uh the soundtrack's pretty good with it has tom hillson doing some of the uh the tracks on the soundtrack and everything uh, and if I mean if you're a fan of acting, if you like if you if you like a movie that to where you don't care about the movie but you just enjoy the acting, you, you take away stuff you know that's an enjoyable aspect of something for you. Then I would recommend it on that regard. Uh, you probably enjoy it again simply for Tom Hiddleston's performance. Uh, but this it did not get a wide release. Uh, you know it's almost direct to video. I mean, some I'm sure L.A. and New York probably got it. Some other big big cities might have had limited engagements, but it didn't open wide down here. I had to wait for digital. Mm. Uh, so. That's kind of a, a sign. That is not a sign, however, for the other film that I saw that I highly recommend, and that's Green Room, starring the late great Anton Yelchin and Patrick Stewart. Hmm. Uh, this was one I'd, uh, I'd like Fangoria on Facebook, so they were like posting, oh, you know, Patrick Stewart talks about his role in Green Room. I'm like, wait, Patrick Stewart in like, some like sort of horror thriller or something? And that's all I knew about it. I knew Patrick Stewart was in it and Anton Yelchin's in it, and it's called Green Room. Uh, that's all, as far as the plot goes, I will give away uh, because it was fantastic. It was a tense 7. thriller. 7.2 on IMDb. Uh, speaking of good performances, excuse me, uh, Patrick Stewart's phenomenal. Never seen him in a role like this. Uh, Anton Yelchin, I've always been a big fan of his. We talked about him before on the podcast with uh, the Fright Night remake and uh, Odd Thomas. Uh, gone too soon, in my opinion. Uh, still fucking bizarre, that whole situation with him. Yeah. Uh, but nevertheless, this he was fantastic in the film and uh who else was in it uh the girl one of the girls in it 
she, I think I made fun of her name on the podcast for her name's Imogen Poots. Yeah. Which is a silly, like all these actors, get your attention. all these actors change their names, you know, for like stage names. Like if my last name was Poots, I would change it even if I wasn't an actor <laughs> just because Imogen, what are you doing? Pooting? <laughs> I'm sure she had to do with that all her life. Not to make a juvenile joke. Sure. But you know, if my last name, you know, it's like your last name was Dick. Hi, I'm Trey Dick. I would, Andy Dick, you know, change your fucking last name. You're gonna, I mean, just for your own sake, so you're not made fun of, and people, stupid people make stupid jokes. You're a comedian, that's okay. But she's, she's I guess, I mean, she's an actress, and she's good in this film. Just, that name is so silly, because it's like, (laughs) as old as I am, I still giggle. (laughs) Yeah, she's been in a lot of movies. She was the star of uh, one of the movies I kickstarted a while back. She was also in, I think, the Fright Night remake as well with Anton Yelchin. And she was in the horrible, horrible Need for Speed movie with Jesse. So, uh, not my lovely producer, but uh, right. Jesse uh, Pinkman from Jesse. Breaking Bad. But yeah, uh, I would recommend it. I don't want to give away, say too much about it, because uh, I think the, better, the more you go into it, just watching it unfold, the better. But I was, again, like, just really impressed with the whole package. It was a good, great, fantastic movie. And I was, uh, of course, I read all the behind-the-scenes stuff afterwards, IMDb and Wikipedia and other stuff to kind of get some of the insight on it. And it was interesting because, just to give you, if this might sway your opinion if you want to see it or not, but uh, the director, I forget his name, but he's, he's kind of been getting a lot of bigger offers. And he wanted to do this film first because he didn't want to, and it, the way I have to, I can't remember the exact quote, but he's like, he was getting offers for bigger budget things and he wanted to make this film before he wouldn't have a chance to make a film like this. And when you see the film, you'll see what that means. Like it's, it's I understand, when I, after seeing the film and reading that, I was like, I understand why you would want to do that. Because, you know, big, uh, bigger name directors trying to make their million dollar movies or uh, blockbusters, like, don't make films like this. Hmm. But it's a, it's a, again, green room, fantastic film. It's on digital. You can go to your Xbox or PlayStation and probably watch it digitally right now. I don't think it's on any streaming just yet. But, uh, like I said, uh, unfortunately, now I won't see any new Anton Yeltsin movies until after Star Trek Beyond that I know of. But this was, again, a solid performance by him. I think if you like, I just love like most of the films he's done. I've actually loved, uh, and it's just a shame we won't see any anymore. I mean, there's still some older ones you probably haven't seen. Like, a, did you see Rudderless? Mm-mm. It's a music-based movie. He's, he did a good job in that. Was that like, like how long ago was that? Uh, probably two years ago. Got, okay, so that's not too long ago. Yeah. It was. It was when I was researching a lot of cover band, st- uh, cover band okay. stuff. Um, that came across my list and. Yeah, there's a moment in there that it's a really good moment that uh, you don't see coming. Okay, I will watch that one ASAP because I'm an Anton Yelchin fan, and it was before Star Trek. Yeah, I liked it before it was cool. Such a hipster, hipster Trey taking over podcast. <laughs> God, I only do this podcast so people know that I talk about older movies most of the time because I liked them before they were cool. <laughs> and hipster jive or whatever the fuck. You said anything good lately, Jesse? I meant to ask you that last time. I kind of hogged it. Oh, <laughs> no. We talking about South Park and everything. Jeez, I don't think I have, actually, though. You've so, been busy. I've been busy. Making board games and shit. Making board games. So, CJLeeGames.com uh, for that? Uh, or probably anything? not, because I've been not working yet. with a lot of other companies. 8th Summit, we got a Superhero Solitaire coming to Kickstarter, probably by the time this is up. There you go. Check it out. There you go. But, uh, yeah. Busy, but I still still watch stuff. I keep stuff on the other screen. You yeah, know. while you're working. Yeah, but I'll I'll uh, have more to report at a later date. <laughs> <laughs> just making sure because last time we just got talking about South Park and other stuff, and 
You want to make sure, in case there was something you want to talk about. Oh, no. Oh, uh, Yeah, I did see, I don't know if I ever mentioned it, but I saw um, Andy Samberg's movie. Oh, Popstar? Popstar? Yeah. I think I mentioned that on the I think the you mentioned it, but... But yeah, that thing ended up making like six mil or eight mil, something like that. That's it. Wow. <laughs> Worldwide. Yet it has like a 7.5 on IMDb. Well, see, the thing is, I didn't, I didn't hear anything about it. And I go to the movies almost every week. Right. Never saw a trailer, never saw anything. But when I saw it, I thought, honestly, the first time I saw the trailer, or not, sorry, the, like a picture out on IMDb, I thought it might have been like an SNL skit or something. Yeah. Like in terms of like, you know, a, a, a Lonely Island video or something. And I'm like, wait a second, that was a movie? Oh, like, see, I, I, I feel had no like idea it was even a movie. I was like, paying attention to it so much. That's why mm-hmm. I feel like I've seen it everywhere, you know. Because, I mean, I love Lonely Island. I love uh, yeah. Hot Rod. And... and that's why I was looking forward to it so much. And yeah. It's good. It's funny. Um, I love the music in it. They just wanted to make a movie around all the music they make, basically. Good idea. Some good music. Yeah. Uh, I just wish it would have caught on. I mean, the people who saw it rated it correctly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, it's not I'll... the greatest movie, but it's good, you know. I mean, it'll probably be just like you know a lot of the movies we talk about here on the podcast. That in a few years, it's gonna yeah. find it'll find its audience somewhere. Yeah. You know, all, I mean, I, I truly believe a lot, a lot of the good films that like you know didn't get any Oscars or did perform at the box office. The test of time is the ultimate acknowledgement, yeah. which is why John Carpenter is so appreciated today. Yeah. More so than the '90s, at least. Uh, of course, in the '80s, he had a string of big hits, of course, but you know today. He doesn't even do movies anymore, pretty much, focus on his music. But, I mean, his genius has stood the test of time. He's, been, he's more revered now, yeah. rightfully so, in my opinion. Because, you know, I mean, the 80s were a huge decade when you had Scorsese, Spielberg, Scott, and, in my opinion, Carpenter above most of those, in my opinion. Of course, you know, and Coppola and Lucas and all, you know, the biggest directors now that are more producers now, actually, for the most mm-hmm. part, to be honest. That's got to say something about the business, though. Yeah. Like we were talking off mic about board game business versus film business. Mm-hmm. How it's just two different people. The groups of people involved couldn't be more different. Yeah. You know, and they must see that same thing. Like John Carpenter at that level, he can jump in and take a movie, but you know, take the reins of a movie and go. Yeah. Probably without much problem, but yeah. he doesn't. Exactly. <laughs> He's I like, I have 100% control of my music. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably something that. And he didn't have a lot of control for his movies, too, which is why it's always John Carpenter's the thing. John Carpenter's Halloween. Which there's got to be a reason why he's like, eh, I'll stick with music for now. Well, as far as as what I've heard is simply because Ghost of Mars, Uh he had such a horrible experience making it with the studio. He's like, done, not making any studio films anymore. See, yeah. Um, Although, and here's one reason, like, I just love the man to death. Like, I think he's... I mean, They Live is probably still one of the best we have covered on the podcast because we're saving it for the final episode. So I don't like, well, why have they covered that one? Yeah, he talks about it all the time. You know, but I mean, you look at his film catalog and like his stories, which they're almost all of them are Westerns under different guises. Yeah. But when you see movies that are more relevant today that looked ahead and saw things like that, which to me, that's like true, like auteurism in cinema at least. And I think Spielberg had that for a while, but I think he's lost that. He hasn't had that for a long time. Ridley Scott, too. We talked about it on the podcast before. But, I mean, John Carpenter can, right now, call up any of his people they know and say, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do another Halloween. Yeah. And then, boom, find it. Like, greenlit, $100 million Someone's budget, probably. It, yeah. yeah, some people would pay just to have his name back on that. But he doesn't do it. Yeah. A, because he didn't want to even do Halloween, too, because he doesn't like doing sequels. But, 
you want, you know, it's just or it's, a new idea could come up and he could probably, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just everyone that's it's not about the creative anymore when it comes to movies, it's all about yeah. the people with the money, which is fine. But I mean, you look at all these little indie people, they're making these movies without the money, mm-hmm. and uh. I don't know. Some of it's good, and then something about star power makes it good. I don't know how that works. Sometimes but it, yeah. it does, and I just don't get that same feeling at the board game industry. Yeah, yeah I mean, we have the stars, but you know, they're not stars yet. They're, everybody's so nice, and it's just a shame. I wish the movie industry was like that. I'd probably like it more. <laughs> I'm, and the thing is, I'm sure it was like that probably in the 1930s, right? Right before the studio system started. Yeah, yeah. You know, but but the thing is too with the 80s. When you look back at, because the eighties, late seventies and into the eighties, mid seventies into the eighties is when we were getting a lot of the uh, University of California, South California graduates from film school: mm-hmm. Coppola, Scorsese. I'm not sure if Scorsese was in there. I'm sorry. Uh, George Lucas, John Carpenter, Spielberg, all all those big names that like that was them coming out basically. Right. And, and right. take like you know the brat pack of directors almost coming out all at the same time like these young guys, fresh ideas. To where films were challenging, even I think in terms of the production and everything, because I mean that's why this podcast is about the '80s. Because yeah. when you look at the films that we cover on here and the ones that we don't, the ones we revere and we talk about, compare them to modern day movies. It's just there, there's that's why when something comes along, like Stranger Things on Netflix, which I'm hopefully you've watched by the and binge watched by the time you listen to this episode or the last episode, mm. when you see something that captures that, it's just like God, it just feels good. Yeah, it feels right. Like, and I understand that is personal preference and nostalgia to some degree. But when you know, when you're you know, because people growing up in 2000 love, I don't know, whatever the cartoons or all that were. They don't even know who the fuck He Man is. They don't know what Voltron is when they see it on Netflix now. Like, I guess this is cool. Looks like anime, you know, <laughs> and you know, which is fine because that that defines you. All that defines you as a kid. But the older you get, and you see how things change, and you see like, okay. You know, cartoons these days, like one of the biggest examples come to mind. And we're rambling now, so if you know, you're getting bored, we'll see you next week. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> like, you know, every cartoon when we were a kid, until like probably the mid 90s, I would guess, just trying to think in my own mind, but again, I'm bad with dates, so don't hold me to it, you know, you'd have that, all right, kids, don't forget, drugs are bad. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, you'd have, you know, I don't know, and then like that's gone. Yeah. You know, and then now there's no Saturday morning cartoons. Unless you got like Nickelodeon or something, you know. So I don't even know what channels play on Saturday mornings anymore. I don't know. You because... Know, Everything's every, DVR'd now. I mean, it, they could put it whenever they want. Exactly. And you have Nick Jr. And, or Disney Jr. And, and thousands of channels. Yeah, yeah, Cartoon Network. I mean, like, you know, when we were kids, we had three channels. Yep. LPB would play Bob Ross and, you know, <laughs> today's... Not today's special, but uh, there was always some show. I, I think I mentioned it before. I still haven't figured out what the name on of the LPB? show. LPB? Yeah, it was a kid... I'm mean, sorry, it was a man dressed like a clown, like a mime, and but he would speak in French or something. Jeez, he would always be on that. Saturday morning, like early, early, even before like Looney Tunes and shit. Wow. And I would like, I would just, as a kid, like, what is he saying? Like, what does he do? What is this? And then, up oh, 6.30, time for Looney Tunes. Oh. You know? To me, like, I sat in front of my TV with a bowl of cereal and watched Voltron. Like, it was just like, yeah. this, like this is awesome. And like, okay, time to do adult stuff. Yeah. Wash, put my bowl in the sink. <laughs> Take off my kid clothes, and be an adult. You know, but it's just so each generation, each generation is different. That's all I'm getting at. But it's like when you see things, the '80s in terms of in people like 
diss 80s music, but I think a lot of people that think of 80s music, they're thinking of early 90s music. Yeah. Because, believe me, the 90s were way worse. When people think of 80s fashion. Mm-hmm. No, bro. Look at the 90s. Like, you're, yeah. you're, 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 like, I'll see like people having 80s nights, and they're wearing neon and all that shit. Yeah. That was more the early 90s. Yeah. That wasn't the 80s. It was tail end of the 80s, maybe, but all that shit, like, people are confusing the 80s with the 90s. They're also going with the extreme, like the Madonna looks and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and all that. But it's like, when you, I think one of the most important, I think the 70s and 80s were probably two of the most important decades in terms of creating film, in terms of just how, I think those two decades, and I would honestly, I'd say like from, you know, maybe 75, or when was Jaws? I think Jaws was 75. Somewhere around there. Don't hold me on that. I'm getting bad with dates. Yeah, around maybe 86, down. 86, 87. Somewhere, <laughs> like, I think those were some of the, I think the best years in film in terms of that's when film became what it is today. Yeah. You know, the advent of the blockbuster, the creation of marketing and everything to where film is everywhere today. Yeah, and, I, and the marketing part is the part that's just so screwy. It's like even... I mean, directors will probably admit this. Like Kevin Smith says it all the time. It's like, oh, our budget's twenty million. Well, only five of it's spent on the movie. Fifteen yeah. on the advertising, advertising and, and marketing. billboard and Times Square and yeah, it's just it's not right. And all of that factors in. I, I still enjoy movies. Uh, yeah. It's just I'm only talking about the creation of them. Yeah, that's which, all. In- Sigillyfilms.com. Actually, I think it's down right now. I haven't fixed it yet. And you have it on YouTube Something still, like or? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah so. that's true. Sigilly Films on YouTube. Yeah. If you want to see little things that Trey and I have done. Yep, check them out. But enough prattling Yeah. for now, because I want to go home and watch some something. i got to find something I to watch. I'm done, I'm done with Stranger Things. You're done with South Park? You need a Uncharted? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> it's pretty good. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> How long did it take you to beat? Uh, Roughly like just long 10 enough. hour game? Yeah, probably. I'm, I'll take it. Yeah. Yeah. I'll borrow it. I didn't play the other one, long. so I might as well. I didn't want something long because I was like, I'm busy, but let's try to get this done. Squeeze it in? Yeah. Oh, it's it's excellent. I had a good time with that. Sweet. Again, I played one, two, three, and four, or one, two, and three, and two, two. was amazing, and then three kind of, I was like, I put it in order two. two, two and four are pretty close. Oh, really? Excellent. Yeah. Then I will definitely borrow yeah. Uncharted 4. So sweet. But uh, next week, just so you can gear up for what we're going to cover, back to normal, uh, we're going to do, speaking of cult films that a lot of people probably didn't see, and most people, when I say the name of this film, be like, what the fuck did he just say? We're going to do a classic starring the likes of Peter Weller, uh, Christopher Lloyd, Jeff Goldblum. I mean, I'm, I'm sold on that cast. I hope you are too. And the movie is about a rock star, scientist, super athlete, Real renaissance man, saving the world from aliens. Uh, it's called Buckaroo Banzai, and his adventure across the fifth dimension. Uh-oh. So, if you haven't seen that... This is current, because it's coming back. Wait, what? Oh, you hadn't heard that? No. That's why I thought you were doing it. Uh-uh. Yeah. Uh, coincidentally, Kevin Smith, as I just mentioned, is doing a Buckaroo Banzai show, like, episodic. Really? Like an internet, a web-based thing or something? Or, or... Yeah, yeah. He actually, um, he did a podcast with Peter Weller... And, and, and talk all about Buckaroo Banzai. Seriously, what, you know what podcast it was? Because I'm literally going to listen well, to it. It was one of the Smodcasts. Okay, was it like the Hollywood I Babylon? Say it's or? No, I think it's just Smodcast, like the regular one. Okay. It's one that I, I didn't it. hear. But if, if you do listen to Hollywood Babylon, he actually mentions this probably in the last 
five episodes you mentioned. There's it. so many smodcasts to where, like, yeah, I and I keep well, listening to my friends' ones more so than anything else. Yeah. And I'll, if I see, like, I like the guest or whatever they're talking Babylon, about in the description. I do listen to, but, um, yeah, they're going to bring it back. Uh, yeah, he got called in for that because they were the same people who, mm, we can talk about it afterwards. Yeah. But it's coming back. <laughs> that's that's awesome. Yeah. Hopefully they keep rubber masks where you can see that the masks are coming off and keep the cheesy and yeah. awesome factor. Cause, but anyway, more about Buckaroo Banzai next week. So uh, I'm not sure if that's on ne- I don't think it's on. I'm pretty sure it's probably not on Netflix. I really don't. So yeah. you're probably going to have to, if you haven't seen it, somebody might have it on YouTube or your other nefarious means. Arr. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, it does. The reason I thought about it was because a long time ago I had a list of like the top 10 cult movies. That people haven't seen. It's like in Wizard Magazine. Yeah. Like years and years ago. And that There's that's when list. I first saw this film. And I just remembered it. And I was thinking like, what's a good cult movie that we haven't done that's really uh, specific to being like, not many people have heard of it. And the people who have heard of it, like, you know, love it. And it's it's big in certain circles. So it's really like, that's I haven't done back, Buckaroo Banzai. And the other one I remember that we'll do later on is a movie called Time After Time with uh, Malcolm McDowell. Uh, I think he's H.G. Wells and he's hunting Jack the Ripper with his time machine. It's, it's, like, it's, it's an interesting sci-fi film. Yeah. So I'm kind of going back on movies that I remember uh, catching back up later on after the 80s when I had disposable income to find VHSs on eBay. So, yeah. But next week, Buckaroo Banzai. Uh, hopefully you can find a way to watch it before then. But believe me, it's not like if we spoil anything, it will hinder your enjoyment because it's all about watching it. So... Until next time, I remain Trey Harris. Jesse Sedgley. Cowabunga! Oh, wait. Are you still recording? Yeah. Oh, I, I forgot to mention. Uh, AgeVisited <laughs> at gmail.com. At oh. AwesomePods on Twitter, Facebook, and Are the internet. Yeah, because I don't because I don't have my sheet. They just my, I have a different template for the top ten list. So I forgot my closing. But anyway, yeah, don't forget our friends John and James with Now vs. Nostalgia and our good friend Down Under Ben Wyatt with the Asia Mania podcast. And we will check you later. Cowabunga again, 10-4, over and out, everybody. Facebook.com slash awesome pods and follow us on Twitter at awesome pods.